This is part two of this very special Hacker Valley Red mini season where we are dissecting the CrowdStrike Global Threat Report of 2022 with the great help of Adam Myers, head of intelligence at CrowdStrike. In this three-part season, we are diving into ransomware, advanced persistent threats, and threats to the cloud. This episode is all about APTs. That's right, advanced persistent threats. What has changed over the years? What is going on today? And just how exactly did Fancy Bear get their name? This and more coming up right now. Welcome to Hacker Valley Red, where we explore the nexus of cybersecurity offense and humanity with a hacker's mindset. Again, I am one of your hosts. I'm Chris Cochran. And I'm your other host, Ron Eddings. And we'll be continuing to explore the elements shared in the CrowdStrike 2022 Global Threat Report. Again, to make all of this happen, we've brought in CrowdStrike's very own head of intelligence, Adam Myers. Adam, we still have a lot of things to cover in this season, but most importantly, thanks for joining us again to cover all these amazing topics. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. It's going to be another great conversation. In this conversation, we're going to be diving into something that I spent a lot of my career doing, and that's talking about APT's advanced persistent threats. So without further ado, let's talk a little bit about what exactly an ex an advanced persistent threat is for everybody out there that doesn't know what it is. You know, I think um, the most important part of advanced persistent threat is is the P, the persistence. And that's because, you know, they're only as advanced as they need to be. And I think, you know, throughout my career, and I've been doing this, you know, tracking these types of groups for at least 15 years, if not more, people tend to over estimate the advanced part and underestimate the persistent part and i think that that's worth calling out right because um even in our our global threat report we kind of indicated one of the uh, iranian threat actors that the overwatch team that the crushed overwatch team was disrupting one of their operations and you know i think we we disrupted them multiple times through four different phases of their operation and they just kept coming they kept coming back they kept trying they kept figuring out how they could try a different way to to get in or, or to do what they were trying to do and they were foiled at each point but the persistence there i mean it was was remarkable the amount of times that they kept trying to execute their operation but generally i think advanced persistent threat is really a euphemism for state-sponsored espionage or um, potentially disruptive destructive attacks that were uh, would be conducted by state actors so help us break down why nation states do these type of activities like i have a few reasons in my mind you know power insight you know insight in the way that you typically wouldn't get it you're forcefully being insightful and also maybe money but from your perspective being deep into the research and working with hundreds of researchers and analysts what have you seen to be the characteristics and the reasons as to why nation states go about these cyber attack activities Sure. So, I, you know, I think that the way I always think about framing it, all of this is under what DOD used to call CNO or computer network operations. And under CNO, there's kind of two parts that are tied to the offensive side. There's CNE, which is computer network exploitation, which is espionage, which is the number one reason that, that I've seen various nation state or aligned threat actors conducting this type of activities for intelligence collection to facilitate 
diplomatic and political decision-making, military decision-making. And in the case of countries like China and increasingly Vietnam, North Korea, industrial espionage in order to replicate uh, various commercial solutions and things of that nature. The other side is CNA or computer network attack. And that is really, I think, what we've been seeing in the lead up to the conflict in the Ukraine, for example, is state aligned activity that's meant to deny, degrade or disrupt uh, the systems of an enemy or, or, or an opposition. And this can include sabotage and lots of other things that are meant to have uh, a negative impact on, on the systems, right? So espionage, you're trying to steal information and not get caught and, and not kind of tip your, your hat that, that you're there. And in the case of CNA, it's um, less concern about not getting caught and more concern about getting the mission accomplished, right? Denying, degrading, disrupting something. So when you were going through the formation of this particular report this year, I know it seems like a lot of the same, right? A lot of the tactics and techniques are the same. A lot of the intention is the same. But did you see anything different this go around? You know, I think that the the biggest change that we're seeing is that these threat actors, you know, in some aspects have gotten a lot better at targeting. And so they're moving off of targeting one-off things, you know, a a lot of what we've previously seen was email attachments that exploit somebody's system. And then they, they, they get access to that system, deploy some, some sort of uh, remote access toolkit or rat, and then use that to collect intelligence or move laterally escalate privilege. And what we've been noticing as a trend is that these straight aligned actors have been going after more MSSPs, ISPs, telecoms, because those are the platforms that lots of other things use and, and they have lots of customers. And so then once you get access to one of those types of platforms, then you can kind of move back downstream against individual targets. So they've, you know, overall, I think nation state actors have gotten more sophisticated in their, their targeting and their collection operations. Uh, the other thing I would point to also is the advancement of, of several threat actors into targeting cloud. And so we've seen Fancy Bear and Cozy Bear, for example, leveraging cloud and container environments in ways that they previously hadn't. And in Cozy Bear's case in particular, that these are two Russian uh, state actors that we track. Cozy Bear has been extremely effective at just savaging enterprises through things like Azure and some of their, you know, Office 365 type Im- implementations. And um, they, they're very adept at being able to leverage that infrastructure. And I, I kind of call them a cloud native adversary. So you mentioned terms like Fancy Bear, Cozy Bear. These are the names given to APT groups or, or really sophisticated groups that are doing these cyber attacks. How do they get the names like Fancy Bear, Cozy Bear? How do your team or CrowdStrike come up with these these names given to the APT groups? All right, I'll, I'll tell you guys a story, but you can't laugh at me. So uh, Fancy <laughs> Bear, for example, we're not on a good start if you're already laughing. Fancy Bear, for example, you know, that was one where I was out for a run many, many years ago now. And um, I think I was listening to Iggy Azalea on my uh, run. And uh, she had that song, I'm So Fancy. And I remember coming home from the run and somebody from the industry called me up and said, hey, what do you guys call Sophacy, which was one of the malwares that was uh, commonly associated with with this group. 
And at the time we were tracking it, but we didn't really have a name for it. And I was thinking very quickly and you know, I still had that that lyric, you know, that 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 hook in my head where she's going, I'm so fancy. Yeah. And I was like, Iggy Bear. And he was like, really? And I was like, oh, man, that's a terrible name. We're never going to be able to make a graphic out of that. I was like, Fancy Bear. And he was like, oh, OK, cool. And then I had to call the analyst who was one of our uh, our researchers. And I was like, sorry, I named it Fancy Bear. And so that's that's what we're going with. But in general, the analysts kind of make some of those decisions in, in the case of Cozy Bear, for example. At the time that it was first discovered, there was a malware associated with it called Cozy Car, I believe it was. And so we kind of just took the industry name and, and kind of put it into our nomenclature. So one of the things that we do that's a little bit different, as you look across the industry, some organizations will use like the periodic table of elements to name adversaries. Others classically have used kind of APT and a number, trying to kind of obfuscate the, the origin of it, perhaps. But we've kind of went the other way, which was directly kind of associating it with the, the country of origin. So in the case of China, we call every Chinese threat actor that we track, and there's quite a few of them, something panda. Every Russian threat actor, something bear. Every North Korean threat actor, Cholima. And if you don't know what a Cholima is, it's a magical flying horse. And we usually try to kind of like a Pegasus, I guess. And we usually try to use the official state animal of, of a country in the naming or, or something that's you know uh, very prevalent in that region for the naming of these threat groups. For example, Turkey uh, this year, we, we designated as Cosmic Wolf. But in the case of North Korea, we, we went and we looked up what the official state animal was, and it was a magical flying horse, which was just what we were hoping for uh, with, with, with the North Koreans. Yeah, that's outstanding. You know, when we think about APTs, we think about China, we think about Panda. And uh, when you think about Panda, you think about volume. And one of the things that was in the report is that China or Panda emerges as the leader for vulnerability exploitation. Obviously, they are putting a lot of throughput in many different ways. But why now? Why does China become the lead for vulnerability exploitation? Can you tell us that story? Well, I think that really goes back a few years back in um, 2018, I believe it was, there was some Chinese laws that were passed that required all vulnerability research rather than going directly to the, uh, the, the product maker, the software maker. It has to go through a government kind of process, which ultimately rolls up under the Ministry of State Security, the MSS. So they're effectively crowdsourcing all of their exploit development and, and kind of leveraging that. So I think, you know, over the years, uh, last year, I think we, we observed something like two vulnerabilities that were first observed in Chinese threat actors operations. And in the last year, there was something like 12. So a 6x increase in the number of vulnerabilities. And I think that shows that they have taken offensive research seriously and that they're they're working to kind of um, make sure that they have first dibs on that. And the Log4J was an interesting example this year because that research came out of Alibaba and they reported it directly to Apache. And I think all the indications are that Alibaba ran into some corporate credit issues or kind of they have like social credit for corporations. And, and it seems like they were not uh, very pleased with Alibaba for not reporting that up through the proper chains and that it went straight to uh, Apache. So let's talk a bit about some of the tactics. And we don't have to really get into the specifics of the tactics, but 
or maybe even the techniques is what I'm really trying to describe is, you know, we're talking about this increase of exploitation. How does this happen? It seems like a lot of the the things that we see on the news is due to vulnerable software. There's a vulnerability found in a piece of software and then APTs and threat actor groups be, begin to start using it. And then you hear about zero days and this research that goes into creating a zero day. It's very expensive. It takes a lot of time from an APT group. And they use both of these techniques to break into systems. But what have you seen in 2021? What was the most common factor? Was it using existing known vulnerabilities or was it using zero days? It, it was a combination. And I think it depends on the threat actor group and, uh, and, and the time. But I mean, if you take a look at how last year started in, you know, February, there were, I think, 56 vulnerabilities, 11 were critical that were released by Microsoft. And those vulnerabilities, when, when they're released and patches come out, some groups will reverse engineer those patches, right? They, they differentiate between the, the, the existing, let's say it's a DLL or, or executable. They'll, they'll, they'll do a binary diff of the two to try to figure out what was fixed so they could figure out what was broken and then use that either for forward research into other vulnerabilities that might be present in that same software or try to weaponize that vulnerability knowing that organizations may not be so quick to patch it. And that is something that happened at the beginning of the year uh, quite a bit. And a lot of ransomware actors, um, you know, if you look at some of the Conti leaks, for example, they have a, a lot of reverse engineering that they do in order to understand vulnerabilities and be able to leverage that. Uh, on the flip side, you know, there was the proxy logon and proxy bypass uh, vulnerabilities that existed um, in Microsoft Exchange. And, you know, the better part of 2021, there was some exposure of Microsoft Exchange uh, by organizations that hadn't yet patched or, you know, that had missed the patches or whatever it was. But there was a lot of exploitation. In fact, March of last year, there was widespread exploitation by Chinese threat actors against Microsoft Exchange servers. And in that case, they were kind of doing what I would call spray and pray, where they were running the exploit, dropping a web shell, and then they would figure they would come back later to conduct an operation because they were trying to get in in that window between when the organization patched and when they had a, a weaponized exploit that they could use. And we've seen that you know, as a trend and something that I know our, our services team gets really concerned about is when a new vulnerability is weaponized and, and exploitable and there's a window between when an organization has patched and when they had the initial exposure. And because they've done that patch, they assume that they're okay now, right? Because the vulnerability has been plugged. But the reality is that they may have been compromised in that window between when the exploit was first usable and when they ran that patch. And, you know, sometimes these investigations will lead back to, oh, you got popped in between when the exploit came out, when, when you patched it and you patched it, closed the window after they got into that, into the house and just assumed everything was okay. I do a lot of CISO roundtables, and we tend to think about all the things that are keeping everyone up at night. One is of course, ransomware. The other one is issues in the cloud, whether it's compromise or vulnerabilities, but one thing that's really been brought to the forefront is supply chain. A lot of folks are really concerned about supply chain these days. What is the narrative from your perspective? Do you have any insights into supply chain attacks that people might need to know in order to protect themselves more wholeheartedly? 
Yeah, supply chain is one of those things that keeps me up at night. In fact, just recently there was some interesting, I think they're calling it protestware, where an open source author basically changed their code. And if their code was deployed inside of Russia or Belarus, uh, it would conduct basically disruptive impact on the system. And that, you know, I, I was talking to a few people the other day, that's that's a supply chain issue, right? When some developer changes their code to take some action that's unexpected. And while it might have been under good intentions or altruistic beliefs that they thought that they were doing the right thing, there's a lot of you know collateral impact from something like that. So in the case of supply chain, you know, that's just the latest example. But if you go back to 2020, there was the solar winds incident where Russian actors um, likely Cozy Bear went into a major software development shop, modified source code at build time, and were able to put a back door into a pretty widespread set of systems at, at an admin level, right? So it was pretty, pretty uh, sophisticated operation there. And then think through all your mobile devices, think through all of the software that you have on your computer. You know, another good example of a supply chain attack was back in 2017 with NotPetya, when Russian threat actors, again, in this case, we tracked it as Voodoo Bear, compromised a Ukrainian software company that was used for financial application. And, you know, think of, I, I kind of always, I, I guess, simplify it by saying it's like the TurboTax of Ukraine. And they were able to use this software to deploy a payload that was a self-replicating disingenuous ransomware, meaning it wasn't actually ransomware. It just looked like ransomware. It was actually a destructive attack and it was able to self-propagate and, and move laterally. So, you know, supply chain issues are extremely complex and I don't know that we have a good answer for it. Um, in fact, you know, one of the things that I always talk to people about with supply chain is think of, again, all the software on your phone, right? And let's say it's it's Roblox or something, right? right? They're probably using third-party libraries for monetization. They're, they're, those libraries are probably using third-party libraries. So you're only as secure as the weakest link in that supply chain, and you have no visibility into what that supply chain even looks like. That's pretty scary, um, especially because who doesn't use third-party libraries? Third-party libraries help you be more agile, optimize your your applications and also take the load off of creating new features that have been created and tested time after time again. You know, some of this stuff for someone that isn't in cybersecurity, that's not really focused on the threats as an analyst or an engineer, this might sound a bit like science fiction, like all of these capabilities and, and possibilities. What has been the most eye-opening or shocking cyber attack that you've seen in 2021 or even as a whole? I can't say I'm super surprised by anything anymore. <laughs> um, He's seen it all. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then the number of attacks is just, I mean, or incidents, I should say, has gone up every year. You know, we're seeing constantly an increase in these types of things. You know, last year we talked about things like Light Basin targeting telecoms. We've talked about different uh, threat actors that have gone after you know, Ukraine certainly in the, the last couple of weeks has been, uh, you know, pretty, pretty interesting to look at. But again, not not super surprising. You know, I think SolarWinds was probably one of the first, the, the one that, that in my mind was like, wow, that not so much surprising that somebody could do that, but just that it happened and, and the scale and the scope of something like that. 
So last time we spoke a little bit about Iran and its utilization of ransomware to do some of its operations. I'm sure there are plenty of other APTs and other nation states that are out there using ransomware, whether it's for purely economical reasons or even some cyber warfare offensive operations. Uh, what have you been seeing from other APTs when it comes to ransomware? Most of them, you know, so the, the Russian threat actors, I think, have been doing deniable operations using ransomware going back to at least 2016 when we first started seeing Fudu Bear using kind of fake ransomware at Ukrainian targets. But at the same time, they also used fake hacktivism, which is another uh, another technique that's fairly common in some of these nation state adversaries where they, they create like a fake hacktivist group to kind of cover uh, as cover for action almost into what they're doing. And in that instance, we had both fake ransomware and I guess they weren't sure if that was going to work. So they also had a fake hacktivist group that used the name F Society, which I'll take a pause and see if you know what that's from. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Of course, Mr. Mr. Robot. Robot. Yeah, and they, they used that, the, the image and everything. So yeah. they, they were it was it was not a very sophisticated denial operation in terms of that. But, you know, we've seen this uh, that the North Koreans have used this when they hit. Sony, for example, back in 2014, they called themselves the guardians of peace. And so I think hacktivism has been uh, probably a more prolific cover for action than ransomware. But I think, you know, in the in the last year, we're seeing that a lot of groups have kind of been ab- adopting this methodology of making it look like ransomware because it's so prevalent, right? It's so widespread that that people are going to you know be happy to believe that it's ransomware because ransomware is is pretty much a continuous problem. So when we think about the targeting of what we're going to be talking about in this next episode, cloud compromise, is there anything that we need to discuss when it comes to APTs? How are APTs looking at the cloud for operations going forward? You know, I, I'd say the way that it, I, I think about it and, and that is probably the most interesting is having watched some of these operations uh, unfold. It's, it's the way that like the skill set doesn't necessarily translate, right? Uh, Pen testers or, 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 you know, hackers, you know, inside of network environments typically will use things like Nmap for scanning ports and they'll use various, you know, tools for for reconnoitering the environment, moving laterally and things of, of that nature. Those tools don't translate to the cloud. So, you know, we've seen in cloud environments where they use the billing APIs to conduct reconnaissance about what systems are there or using, you know, snapshotting of 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 machines to completely exfiltrate an entire server. So, you know, the, the, the skill sets are different. And in some of these situations, it's almost as if the, the operational team brought in a cloud person and they were like, all right, have a seat. Now <laughs> you're going to take over. Right. And, uh, you know, I think that the, the, the I, I guess the one surprise that I had most with the solar winds and, and it continued through this year, we had a couple of blog posts about it was cozy bears ability to jump between Azure tenants. So there, you know, this has been, I think, publicized. We had a blog post about it, for example, where the threat actor had compromised a cloud reseller. And when you have cloud resellers in, in some environments, in some situations, you might have to give them privilege inside of your tenant. And so 
with Cozy Bear, for example, it was observed that they were able to compromise a reseller and then use access that was delegated to the reseller from their customers to move into those customer environments and then attempt to use various endpoints to get access to files or to mail. And the thing that's kind of interesting about that as well is that, you know, we have XDR and EDR and all of these environments for monitoring and and to understand what's happening. But when they start going after these, some of these cloud environments, the, the victim doesn't even necessarily have the visibility to see what's happening because they're going through the cloud providers APIs. And so, you know, from a logging perspective, you might not even see or have the ability to see what's happening inside of that cloud environment, which is really interesting. So in 2021, it seemed like organizations, even governments, really accepted the fact that their workforce was going to be remote for some time. And I'm sure this was the case when it came to the DOD and maybe other and other countries like state sponsored countries that have a state sponsored program. Did you see any evidence of these APT groups using cloud services for their own internal operations and using cloud services for things like collaboration and just staying organized during the pandemic? No, no, I think, you know, most of the the times that we see threat actors leveraging cloud are for standing up command and control systems. So, you know, VPSs are are very popular for that, where you can get a, a virtual host for, you know, maybe $5 a month and cryptocurrency is completely unattributable. So they'll spin that up as a command and control node or a um, operational relay base or orb. We've also seen that they've leveraged some of these cloud services more on the e-crime side for data exfil, where they'll use a service like Mega or something like that in order to exfiltrate data very quickly and at scale from a, from a, a target environment. So I have to ask, because you put us on the spot with pop culture, we got to put you on the spot. Chaos is a ladder. Who said that? Anybody know? Chaos is a ladder? Yep. Not ringing a bell. It was on Game of Thrones, Littlefinger. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't get like, into that fantasy stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All good. But Littlefinger Maybe is this guy. Fat or something like that. I, I, right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> different genre, different genre. But Littlefinger is this guy that is like kind of like Weasley. He's always like wheeling and dealing in the background, like watching everything kind of fall apart. But every time things are really tumultuous or crazy, he uses that as an opportunity to raise his status within this kingdom. And I would have to say that right now is pretty a tumultuous time uh, with everything that's going on in the world. Chaos is a ladder. So I'm sure that there are a lot of APTs out there that are going to use this time to increase their access, to increase their prominence in cyber. What assessment would you have today about the utilization of this chaos that's going on today for the future? Let me just roll back for a second. You said the guy's name is Little Fingers? Yep, Little Finger. That's what they call him. No, right. no idea why. I'm going to, I feel like that's a good hacker name right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that that chaos is an opportunity for sure. And, you know, we've observed, for example, in in the wake of the 2014 invasion of Crimea and what happened since then, the Russians, you know, I, I always kind of say that they used Ukraine as a laboratory for offensive cyber operations. 
and they they did a lot of testing and and I think they they leveraged the chaotic nature of what was going on in Ukraine and and what was going on in that part of the the world to kind of use that as an opportunity to develop new capabilities and tactics and techniques and you know I I think that that's probably the the one way I would think through how that might be applicable to to this kind of uh, challenge that we face. Perfect. And with that, we have come to the conclusion of episode two. And in the next episode, we're going to be talking about threats to the cloud specific. So I'm super excited for that. But Adam, for the folks that want to stay up to date with you and also check out this incredible report that you have developed at CrowdStrike, what are the best ways of people to do that? Well, definitely a uh, CrowdStrike uh, blog is a good place to go. In fact, we just released uh, a blog uh, this week on a vulnerability in Kubernetes that um, that we identified. So kind of interesting stuff is always going up on that blog. Adam underscore cyber at, on Twitter. You know, one of the things that we're currently working on is this adversary universe, which is kind of where organizations can come in and see what threat actors we're tracking and how it applies to them and we're we're planning to launch our own podcast around that as well so stay uh stay you know keep 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 eyes on i guess my twitter for uh, some little uh hints about when that's coming looking forward to it we've also dropped all of the, your resources into the show notes so really appreciate adam and we'll see you on the next episode perfect have a good one <laughs>